Open your Bibles with me to 1 John chapter 2. The Bible says in verse 15, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For, what's that next word? For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Little children, it is the last time, as ye have heard, that, and, and as ye have heard, that Antichrist shall come. Even now are there many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would no doubt have continued with us. But they went out, that they might be made manifest, that they were not all of us. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it has been an amazing year, and so many things have happened, and we can't cover all of them, but Lord, I, I want us to have a biblical understanding of what we are seeing in the world. And Father, please help us now in this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we're not going to be able to cover everything that has happened in the last year, but it is important that we take some of these large items and discuss them. In the Sunday school hour, I asked people what topics they thought would need to be covered today. And there were some that I, that I hadn't included in this, things like the Black Lives Matter movement. And if you are interested in my comments on the Black Lives Matter movement, uh, get the message from our uh, first responders Sunday, and I deal with all the statistics and things on that. The Black Lives Matter movement was founded on a lie, and that is, hands up, don't shoot, that never happened. And it was founded by a group of Marxists that just absolutely hate anything having to do with legal authority. And so don't get wrapped up in the race of it, because it's not about race. It's about undermining our uh, society that we have. Um, the other one that was mentioned is the whole issue with transgender bathrooms and all of that. That, again, it's really a silly topic because there aren't enough people that need uh, that concession to even have it to be considered. Um, it, it's all it is, it's an attack on traditional morality. That's all that that is. And let me say this about transgenderism, especially those who go all the way with the surgery. The suicide rate for those who claim to be transgender people, the suicide rate is 40%. Now, how many you see that as a problem? 40%. So there are deeper underlying issues. 40%. And then those who have the, the, the transition uh, hormones and surgery, you would think that that would cure the problem. The suicide rate after the transition surgery is 40%. So if, if you love someone, you love a group of people, and 40% of them are killing themselves, if you really care for them, you're going to try and treat the underlying malady. Amen. And what we are seeing, and uh, I discussed this in the Sunday school hour, is a return to paganism. It's a return to paganism. 
And Christianity raised the quality of life for everyone that has been exposed to it. Remember, women and children are treated like, like possessions to be used up in the entire pagan world. It's very important that we, that we recognize that. Christianity, Jesus said, Suffer the little children to come unto me, for such is the kingdom of, of God. And then he said, If you offend one of these little ones, it would be better that a millstone be hung about your neck and you be cast into the sea. See, Jesus Christ cared about children. Paganism kills children. Paganism sacrifices children. Paganism commits abortion. We're going to talk about some of those things. But paganism also violates women. Paganism takes the, state, the, the position of a woman and, and turns her into an object to be used. And our entire society is now returning to paganism, and so it is objectifying women as things to be used. And it's horrible. It's horrible. So this, this, this paganistic idea, the paganistic sexuality, the paganistic understanding of children, the paganistic understanding of women, that is a, that is a devolution. That's not an evolution. That is, that is the, the reducing of value of these people. It's not exalting them as Christianity does. And so all of those subjects, they're vital for us to understand from a biblical perspective. The world would have us say, would have us believe that Christianity causes women to be abused. Just the opposite is true. Christianity elevates the place of the woman. It is interesting that Jesus Christ chose a woman to be the first person to testify of his resurrection. You see, Christianity exalts women, Christianity does not abuse women. It's very important that we see these things. And there's all of these topics that we can talk about. But I've chosen four or five uh, for this period of time because we do want to go home today. So let's look at a few of these things. The first, I think the first major news story would be the election of Donald Trump. Um, I don't have time to go into all of the, the polls and how all of the experts, just about all of the experts were wrong. I think what happened finally... You know, I have said for, you know, literally my entire adult life that if conservatives would just speak plainly and tell the truth, they'd win. How many of you have heard me say that before this election? What did Donald Trump do? He spoke plainly. And even the Republicans, even the establishment Republicans were just shocked at the plainness of his speech. But that resonates with normal people because people don't speak political talk or jargon. They just speak in, in true facts. So, first of all, this was clearly a revolt against the establishment. It was a revolt against the establishment Democrats. It was a revolt against the establishment Republicans and what they are seeing in the world. The other thing is it was a revolt against political correctness. Um, now, let me just say this. Uh, of course, I do not believe that Donald Trump is our best representative of how to speak, how to behave. All of those things. And that, um, in, this, in this revolt, not only against the establishment, it's very similar to the Brexit vote in England. So the Brexit vote, that was the vote to, for England to come out of the European Union. And it's crazy. The European Union might fall apart any time. It's amazing. that One of the heads of the European Union just came out and said that he doesn't believe that people ought to have the right to vote for everything that goes on in the European Union. 
And that's what the European Union does, is it takes all of these nations that are members of the European Union, and you have this group of people that rule over them without any voting from the people. So it's not representative government. And that's what these technocrats always want to do, is they, they, want to, they believe that they can control your life better than you can control your life. And so that's a problem, and this, that's what Brexit was. It was a reaction to technocracy and to um, really the, the big government concept. Now, let me say this. Be careful of losing your principles and testimony in supporting of Donald Trump. Um, look with me. Keep your place in First John, because I want to talk about that some more. But go with me to the book of Acts. Remember what the, the apostles were preaching... And it's Acts chapter 4. And the religious leaders came out and told them to stop. They didn't stop, so they were put in jail. And then God miraculously delivers them from the jail, and they went right back to the temple and began preaching. And the leaders are told that they're preaching again, so they're brought before them. In verse 15, it says, But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What shall we do to these men? For that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all them that dwell in Jerusalem, and we cannot deny it. Isn't that awesome? When God works in such a way that religious leaders can't deny it? Very interesting. But that it spread no further among the people, let us straightly threaten them that they speak henceforth to no man in this name. And they called them and commanded them not to speak at all, nor teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said unto them, Whether it be right in the sight of God to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. That's, that, isn't that an important statement? They have to do that. In another place they say, we need to obey God rather than men. And so what's going to happen in a Trump administration is he's going to do some really good things. And when he does those really good things, we need to, to be positive about those things. But when he does things that are not good, we need to be just as vocal as we would have been against Hillary Clinton or Barack Obama or anybody on the left. It's very important that we don't lose our testimony or our moral authority by trying to behave as partisans. We're not partisans, we're Christians. Let me give you a couple of examples that are really important. Uh, Betsy DeVos, and so this is his nominee to head the Department of Education. Now, he said in his campaign speech that, he needs to get, that we need to get rid of the Department of Education because it's unconstitutional. And we all agree with that. The, government doesn't have any, the, the federal government has no place in the education of our children. They have anything to do with it. And so now with putting her in charge, she is a problem because she went along with Common Core and with all these national standards, and now he's saying we need to have higher national standards. There should be no national standards for education. Because if they're national standards for education, when you have something for everyone, it has to be less than it could be for the individual has to be. It has to be. And then you have someone in Washington determining what is the standard for a student in Sydney, Ohio. Now, how many of you appreciate Washington, D.C. values? 
How many of you would say that those Washington, D.C. values align with yours? So maybe they would have a different goal in the education of your children than you do. And so the appointment of Betsy DeVos is very, very troubling. It's very troubling. And then Rex Tillerson as Secretary of State. Let me read to you what Tony Perkins, the head of the Family Research Council, said. He said, quote, the ExxonMobil, or he wrote this, the ExxonMobil executive may be the greatest ally liberals have in the cabinet for their abortion and LGBT agendas. That should be particularly alarming to conservatives who spent the last eight years watching the State Department lead the global parade for the slaughter of innocent unborn children and the intimidation of nations with natural views on marriage and sexuality. To hear that Donald Trump may be appointing a man who not only led the charge to open the Boy Scouts to gay troop leaders, but whose company directly gives to Planned Parenthood is upsetting at best. Tillerson might be a great businessman, but how can that man, as Secretary of State, look the head of China in the eye and challenge their one-child policy? can't do it. He can't do it. This is a huge problem, folks. And so we have to understand that when we're dealing with Donald Trump, let me get in the weeds a little bit here. Um, there are philosophical positions. There's utilitarianism and pragmatism. Utilitarian, utilitarianism is it's a form of consequentialism. And the idea there is, is this. With utilitarianism, good acts produce good results. And so you, if you have a good result, that proves that the act was good. All right? So how many of you are really blessed that you just feel like the Holy Spirit speaking to you through that? That's utilitarianism. The problem with utilitarianism is there's a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. There's none that doeth good. No, not one. So there aren't good people. So how can people who are sinful know what is good for someone else apart from the Scriptures. That's utilitarianism. The other is pragmatism. Pragmatism, as far as ethics, would be a step below utilitarianism. Pragmatism is whatever works. Whatever works. If it works, it's good. Slavery works, so slavery is okay. We don't do it now because it doesn't fit. But back then it was okay because it worked and it got some things done. That's pragmatism. Donald Trump is somewhere between a utilitarian and a pragmatist. That's who he is. I'm going to recognize immediately that that's who he is. I'm going to do whatever it takes. I'm going to say whatever's necessary to accomplish my goals. And my goals, look at the business I've built. That means I'm good. How many of you, is that, am I exaggerating or is that Donald Trump? Now, how many of you think that that aligns with Christian mindset? Of course not. Of course not. It doesn't. So what we have to be careful of, and i got to say this, man, I wanted to dance a jig if I knew how I would have when Hillary Clinton lost. All right? Don't like her. I think she's an evil person. Uh, just all of her policies would violate everything that a Christian would hold to. She calls herself a Christian but wants to kill as many children as possible. That's wickedness. And if you're here and you're a Hillary Clinton supporter and you get mad at me, go kill a couple of babies. You'll feel better. She's an evil person. She is an evil, evil person. And any Christian that would support someone that would violate every tenet of the Christian faith, don't call yourself a Christian. What you are is you are a pragmatist. 
I'm not a Christian. Very important that we get that. Now, I think, how many of you pretty much agree with what I just said about Hillary Clinton? Right? Well, then you have to agree with what I'm saying about Donald Trump as well. Let's not get wrapped up in politics to such an extent that we violate our testimony and we violate our principles. We cannot do that. We lose all of our credibility when we do that. Everything that Donald Trump does that's right, I will applaud. Everything that he does that's wrong that I know of, I will point out and I will condemn. That's what we as Christians are called to do. I'm not called to be a mouthpiece for Donald Trump. I'm called to be a mouthpiece for the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're not the same person. All right? So that would be the first major thing was the election of Donald Trump. And then, number two, President Obama's anti-Israel stance. His anti-Israel stance. And I, I think that what happens is... We, we, we experience this cognitive dissonance. There's so much information coming at us that we just forget what's happened. So what I want to do is I want to give you a list of President Obama's treatment of Israel. February 2008, Obama attacks the Likud party. That would be the conservative party in Israel, even though the Kadima party is in power, attempting to negotiate peace with the Palestinians. In 2008, in June of 2008, Obama reverses himself on whether Jerusalem should remain undivided. March of 2009, his administration rejoins the anti-Semitic UN Human Rights Council, fully acknowledging its anti-Semitism. In May of 2009, President Obama tells Netanyahu that settlements have to be stopped in order for us to move forward. And then Netanyahu complies. And what happened? They started raining missiles down on Israel. In June of 2009, President Obama says Israel was only founded because of the Holocaust, then compares Palestinian treatment at Jewish hands to Jewish Jewish suffering at the hands of the Nazis. That's what our president said. They endure daily humiliations, large and small, that come with occupation. So let there be no doubt the situation for the Palestinian people is intolerable. America will not turn our backs on the legitimate Palestinian aspiration for dignity, opportunity, and a state of their own. Now, here's the problem, and this is what most people... I I don't think that many Americans understand this. There are hundreds of thousands of Palestinians living in Israel. When you go to Israel, you have the Jewish quarter and you have the Muslim quarter. When I was in Israel, we went to the Kotel Tunnel... So you have the western wall, and there's a tunnel that goes under that. Well, we went through it, but the time that we went through it, when we got to the other end, we would have come up into the Muslim area. We had to actually go back all the way through the tunnel to come out onto the the Israeli side in Jerusalem, in the city of Jerusalem, because it's not safe, because Muslims will attack you, and we didn't have any armed guards at the other end of the area. So there are hundreds of thousands of Palestinians living in Israel, How many Jews live in the Palestinian territories? None. Why? Because they'd kill them. They would kill them. It's it's an amazing thought. The way that all of it is reported, it's just insane. So this idea of a two-state solution, there was a two-state solution. The state was called Transjordan. It's now called Jordan. The Palestinians have a state. It's called Jordan. So this whole idea, it's just something that has been ginned up by Islam and by Muslim leaders to have a cause. And uh, I may 
go into some more of the history of that at another time. I don't have time to deal with it today. Um, in July of 2009, President Obama threatens to put daylight between the United States and Israel. September 2009, President Obama says, America does not accept the legitimacy of a continued Israeli settlements. In September of 2009, or I'm sorry, March of 2010, Vice President Joe Biden visits Israel and attacks President Netanyahu for allowing Jews to build bathrooms in their homes in Jerusalem. In a conversation, Hillary Clinton screams at Netanyahu for an hour on the phone. I'll bet that was a pleasant sound. When Netanyahu visits the White House, Obama makes him leave through a side door. How many of you remember seeing that on the news? This is the treatment of Israel by our president. In June of 2010, a U.S. defense source leaks and kills Israelis plans, Israel's plans to work with Saudi Arabia to strike the Iranian nuclear facilities. So our intelligence undermined that attack. May of 2011, the State Department labels Jerusalem not part of Israel. President Obama says all negotiations must begin with pre-1967 borders. So remember what happened in 1967. They're being attacked. Israel defeats, um, I believe it was Egypt and Jordan and Syria, uh, these other nations that attacked Israel. Israel defeats them, and as a part of that defeat, they take land so that they'll be able to defend their borders. That was the result of a war. And so that, that's the 1967 borders. All right? And if people say that that's illegitimate, then the entire Middle East is legitimate, illegitimate because at the end of World War I with the Sykes-Picot Agreement, the entire Middle East, the borders of the entire Middle East were redrawn because the Ottoman Empire was wiped out because they had aligned with the, Hungaro, uh, the Hungarian, Austrian, and German side of World War I. When they lost that as a part of the negotiations, the entire map of the Middle East was redrawn. So then none of that is legitimate. You see how crazy all of this is? It's crazy. How many of you believe that Texas is a part of the United States? No, we're occupiers. No, when you have wars, the result of wars are that borders are redrawn. The result of the 1967 war was those borders were redrawn. It's just reality. People are crazy. You know that there are occupying forces all over the world right now. Morocco is occupying part of Algiers. And... Um, Turkey is occupying half of the island of Cyprus. So there's, there's so much more that we could talk about on that. But this idea of, of, the United States, or of Israel occupying that territory is just not true. It's not legitimate. Then, um, December 2011, Hillary compares Israel to Iran. November of 2011, French President Nicolas Sarkozy tells President Obama on an open mic, I can't stand him, talking about Netanyahu. He's a liar. And President Obama responds, you're tired of him. What about me? I have to deal with him every day. This is the attitude of our president towards the head of Israel. Hillary compared Israel to Iran. In February of 2012, Secretary of Defense Leon Panetta kills a potential Israeli strike on Iran by talking about it openly with the Washington Post. March of 2012, the Obama administration repeatedly leaks Israeli plans to strike Iran's nuclear facilities, including a nascent deal with Azerbaijan to use an air base. Now, it's so important that we understand what's going on here. Iran has specifically stated that their, their purpose, one of their key purposes of existence, is 
to destroy Israel, to wipe them off the face of the map, to, to have them cease to exist. So if they get nuclear weapons, what do you think they're going to do with these nuclear weapons? And so the, the, Iran has declared war on Israel. So Israel has every the legitimate right to stop them from getting these weapons. But our president doesn't believe that, which is obvious by the Iran nuclear deal, which was a complete lie. Everything about it was complete, completely undermines everything the United States has historically stood for. Then, um, on June of 2012, the Obama administration leaks Israel's involvement in the Stuxnet virus. Now, the Stuxnet virus, what that did was it infected all of the computers and the centrifuges that are responsible for, that are needed to produce the type of plutonium necessary for a nuclear weapon. And so they were able to get it in there, and it just destroyed, I think, 5,000 centrifuges. It was just an amazing thing, and it was technology that no one knew about until our administration released that information. Good friend, right? No. Um, boy, there's so much that I could talk about. The last one, of course, would be... Uh, I'm going to have to skip through them just for time. And... Uh, but the last one is just this, this last slap at Israel with this UN resolution against Israel. And I want to talk about the United Nations and what happened in this 70th session. The 70th session is from late 2015 until uh, uh, 2016. And so how many of you know that there's a lot of um, human rights violations going on in the world? How many of you know that, Right. When you look at what's going on in Africa with the treatment of people under Islam, it's just horrible. What the Hindus are doing to Christians in India, it's just, it's just horrible to see what's going on in the world. And so the United Nations, being this august body that is so devoted to human rights, they, in that 70th session, they had 20 resolutions against Israel. 20. Three against the rest of the world. Now, how many of you really believe that Israel is the worst nation in the world? <laughs> to the UN, they are. Why is that? Because around 1972, between 1958 and the 1960s, there was this group of nations that were admitted to the United Nations, and they're, they're small nations that make up about 7% of the world's population. But because of the number of their nations, they actually rule the United Nations. The majority of them are either Marxist or Muslim, communist or Muslim nations. And they all hate Israel. And it's just insane. Again, we need to completely pull out of the United Nations because it doesn't represent our values at all. At all. We need to pull out of it. So let me give you the three that were against the rest of the world. The situation of the human rights in the Islamic public of Iran expresses serious concern about the ongoing severe limitations and restrictions on the right to freedom of thought, conscience, religion, or belief, and the restrictions on the establishment of places of worship, as well as attacks against places of worship and burial, as well as other human rights violations. That's a good statement. Then number two, the situation of human rights in the Syrian Arab Republic. Deplores and condemns in the strongest terms the continued armed violence by the Syrian authorities against its own people. The third one is the situation of human rights in the Democratic Republic of Korea. So that's North Korea. Condemns the longstanding and ongoing systematic widespread and gross violations of human rights in the Democratic People's Republic of Korea. 
The thing about all of those is 60 nations on average abstain from those votes. And 40 nations, 30 nations vote against them. And so you have this very small plurality of nations voting against them. It's the worst people in the world. These people that you just, you just can't imagine how awful it is. All right, so then. So the first news story, President Obama is elected. I'm sorry, President Trump or Donald Trump is elected. He's president-elect. And then the treatment of Israel by our president. Remember, Genesis 12, 3, I'll bless them that bless thee, curse them that curse thee. We as a nation, we need to stand with Israel. The other thing is, Israel is the only democracy in that area, in that region. They're all dictatorships, and they're all very oppressive dictatorships. Why don't they speak out against Saudi Arabia? Women can't, aren't even allowed to drive there. Now, I don't know that women can drive. No, that's a different just different. Can you imagine? Ladies, can you imagine it being against the law for you to drive? You can't do anything there without a man present. Do you think that's... How many of you believe that's a human rights violation? Not the driving, just the whole idea that you can't do anything. Shouldn't the United Nations say something about that? That's, the, that's how ridiculous all of this is. All right, then. The next would be Islam and worldwide terror. Islam and worldwide terror. There is this understanding. What people say is that Islam is a religion of peace. And that Islam means peace. No, it means submission. It means submission. So whenever you hear someone say Islam means peace, they're lying to you. It's peace that comes from submission to Islam and Sharia. There are seven swords of jihad. And so one of the problems is the definition of jihad. And in Islam, there are seven de definitions of jihad. It's empire building, suppression of apostate subjects, revolution against false Muslim leaders, um, the anti-colonial struggle and purification of the religion, the countering of Western influence uh, and pagan ignorance of Allah, guerrilla warfare against infidel invaders, and the direct targeting of civilians in terrorist attacks. Maybe in one of these times I'll go through and talk about the history of how each of those definitions came to be, but the, the last one is, was brought about by Osama bin Laden. He changed everything. His, the, the person that he followed was a guy named Azam. Azam was the head of the Arab Mujahideen that fought against um, the, the Russians in Afghanistan. And he raised 55,000 fighters that came from all over the world. And what had happened was there was a man who, in the past, in order for a jihad to be called a holy war, it had to be called for by the caliph, the head of the caliphate. Well, in 1924, Mustafa Kemal, who took the name Ataturk, banned the, he, he exiled the caliph from the Ottoman Empire there in Turkey after World War I. That ended the caliphate. All right? So what happened was you had Islamic scholars who changed the idea of holy war from a, a caliphate struggle to an individual struggle. And so now when you have Abu Bakr Baghdadi, Abu Bakr Baghdadi, he named himself after Abu Bakr. That's the man that followed um, Muhammad as the head of Islam. But what they're doing is they're saying, in the United States, drive a car into a crowd at a Christmas celebration. That's the idea, is the individual's responsibility. What he said was, if there is this, the, the amount of space of a hand's span where an infidel is there, it's your responsibility to kill that infidel. 
So that's the result from the 1980s of Osama bin Laden. After Azam was killed in Pakistan, Osama bin Laden changed the name from, from this, the Mahajadeen to Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda means base, and it's the base for uh, Islamic fighting or whatever. And so that idea of Al-Qaeda, it split into Al-Qaeda in the, in the, the uh, uh, oh, the peninsula. What's it called? The, what's the peninsula there? Arabian Peninsula. And then the, in the Maghreb. And that spread to Africa and all of the horrible things that are going on there. That's all the result of Osama bin Laden. So you have this idea, people tell us in the news that it's a small portion of Islam. But what you need to understand is going all the way back to the 1200s, Islam was said to be not a religion. And this is what the leaders would say. It's not a religion. It's an entire system of thinking, religion, political, social, everything. And the purpose of Islam is to bring everything under Sharia, Sharia law. It's called the way. Sharia means the way. Isn't it interesting? The Bible says there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the ends thereof are the ways of death. And what does Sharia end up in? Death. Death physically now and death eternally in hell forever for following a false god and a false religion. So when you look at all of the Muslim attacks going on around the world, we have to understand that it is an ideological war. It's not a holy war. It's not a religious war. It's an ideological war. And that idea of militant jihad based in the primary documents of Islam, that's what we have to fight against. We have to understand that is the battle. And the only way that that battle can be won is it has to be an ideological war. We have to say that this is what needs to be done. So when President Obama became president, he made it against the law to train FBI agents about Muslim insurgency. It's against the law to train military leaders about religious insurgency because of political correctness. You see, the president took his cue from the Muslim Brotherhood. This isn't conspiracy stuff. Just read the New York Times. You could find it. The, the, New York, the, the, the Muslim Brotherhood and CARE are the ones who advised him on how to talk about this. And it was through care and the Muslim Brotherhood that they stopped talking about radical Islamic terrorism. It became extremism, violent extremism, violent extremism. Because there's lots of Presbyterian violent extremists. It doesn't exist. It doesn't exist. And so it's really important that we get this, that this concept of Islam, we have to be honest about it. Bible says, and you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. That means that if you don't know the truth and you have a lie, that that enslaves you. You're enslaved to a lie. So much of our country is enslaved to a lie about Islam. Islam is not a religion of peace. And all of these people that talk about human rights who say that Islam is a religion of peace, they're just liars. They're just liars. Why do they like it? Because in the 1950s, when all of those nations came into the United Nations... It was very much Marxism, Marxist and anti-colonialist. All right? So the, the colonialism concept that, remember, England and Spain and Italy, they all had colonies all around the world. And so when you had all of these rebellions take place and these, these um, colonial powers lost their influence, well, Marxism went into those places and Islam. And just like Osama bin Laden, when Osama bin Laden would write and, and talk about the foundations of this anti-colonialism, he was using the language of Marxism. 
It's very interesting. That'd be something for you to do some research on. Look at the connection between Osama bin Laden and Marxism. Both of those totalitarian systems hate freedom and liberty. They hate the concept of individual accountability. They can't stand it. So what you end up with, why would our president, why would he hate Israel, love Muslims and Muslim nations? Why would he want to do that? Because he's a Marxist. He's a Marxist. And so that anti-colonialism of Marxism and the struggle of Islam against the oppressing colonial powers, that all goes together in the most convoluted idealism imaginable. It doesn't even make sense, but that's where it all comes together. When he sat in Reverend Wright's church for 20 years, Reverend Wright was a Marxist and an anti-Semite railing against the Jews, railing against American liberty. That's the church that our president went to for years and years and years. And you see these policies acting out. What am I trying to give you? A biblical understanding of what happened in the news. We as biblical Christians... We need to understand that there's an entire system that hates everything that we stand for, and it's been represented in the Obama administration. Um, then, I want to finish it with this, and that is the Planned Parenthood videos. Now, the videos were put out. How many of you have seen, uh, or at least seen reported on, the videos that the Center, what was it called, Center for Medical Progress, released in 2015, right? And so now, investigations have taken place in 2016, and you have reports. And the reports came out, I saw when I just did a Google search on the Planned Parenthood videos, um, public broadcasting said that report shows that no fetal tissue was sold. It's just a lie. It's just a lie. Um, so what happened with Center for Medical Progress, what they did was they went and they did undercover uh, conversations, interactions with people at Planned Parenthood clinics, and then they posted those videos online so that you could see it. And what they were talking about was the harvesting of... Now, let me say this. If you're here with small children and you don't want them to hear, you might want to leave. I, I don't think that they'll even follow most of what I'm going to say, but some folks are sensitive to that. Now, there are things that were said in these videos and in the testimony just reading it this morning, it's so unbelievably disturbing. In one of the discussions, it was a discussion of how to kill the child by cutting in certain places so you didn't destroy tissue that had value because they were selling that tissue. There was, um, I'm trying to decide whether or not to read it. Um, there was a, a woman who testified. She's, she was working at an abortion clinic, and she was called in by one of the other technicians. She said, you've got to see something that's really cool. And this baby who had been aborted was on the table, and she said, this is one of the most fully gestated fetuses that I have seen. And that language is so clinical, isn't it? The word fetus is Latin for small child. Okay? So 
she said, watch this. And she touched her scalpel to the chest and the heart was beating. Legally, that child's alive. Now, we all know the child was alive before. You all agree with that? And so this technician was all excited because of all of the, the parts that could be harvested. And so this woman talked about how uncomfortable it was. And she said, we need to harvest the brain. And the way that we'll do it is through the face. And started with the upper lip cutting. And she said, here, you do it. And this woman described what it was like to do that. This child was alive. Why don't we hear about that, folks? That was testimony before Congress. Why don't we hear about it? So for someone like Hillary Clinton to stand up and be so pro-Planned Parenthood, Donald Trump gave money to Planned Parenthood. Rex Tillerson gave money to Planned Parenthood. And if you hear that Planned Parenthood does, you know, mammograms and all that, they don't do that. That's just a lie. Planned Parenthood exists to kill children. That's what they do. 85% of what they do is killing children. And we shouldn't pay for it. It shouldn't be legal. And if, if our media wasn't so corrupt, this information would be on the news. But if it was on the news... The movie that was made about the abortion provider that did the most, post, the most uh, late-term abortions, the partial birth abortions, there, I think it was Kansas or Missouri. Um, theaters wouldn't show it because it was too controversial. Isn't that amazing? The filth that is in these theaters, but they won't show what happens when a man is so heinous. When we look at these top news stories... When you look at this, this information that just flows all around us all the time, go back to 1 John with me. What happens as, the, as a believer is we see that the Bible is true. Verse 16, 1 John chapter 2, verse 16. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. This world that we live in, it is wicked. It's wicked. And look at what the Bible says in verse 18 or verse 17. And the world passeth away. The world passeth away. Our world is devolving again. Christianity elevated so much of what goes on in the world, but Christianity is being diminished in the world. And as that happens, especially in the Western world, we're starting to see barbarism come back up. Right? That's what we're seeing. And that's going to end with this one world government that's coming and all the things the Bible talks about. In the meantime, we as believers, we have a job. We have a job. Now, how many of you would recognize that this message has been primarily negative? <laughs> right? You walk out of here saying, boy, that was encouraging. Holy cow. Well, I don't know what to say. This is the world that we live in. 
This is the world that we live in. So we as Christians, we have to be honest with what's going on around us. This world is sinful. This world is wicked. And do you know what happens? As the world continues to go down, if we continue to be righteous and follow what the Bible says, we're going to stand out more and more. All right? Now, that's, that's good and it's bad. It's good because I know what's happening around you guys. Because of what's going on in the world, people are coming to talk to you as Christians and ask your opinion about what's going on. How many of you have had, since someone knows that you're a Christian, someone has asked you about what's going on in the world in the last year? Would you raise your hands? Isn't that amazing? So we'll have that opportunity. But the other thing that's going to happen is our righteousness will be an affront to the wicked and they'll want to stamp us out. Whether it's in our jobs or whether it's in politics, whether it's in schools, whatever it is, all of that hatred toward righteousness and holiness. I want you to think about everything that the world is pushing right now. It's all about sex, right? And it's not about the marriage relationship, the wonderful, godly marriage relationship between a man and a woman. That's not what it's about. That's what's being attacked. And the result of it is kill the children, um, that every type, every type of interaction is completely legitimate, and if you don't like it and endorse it, then you're a bigot. See, they hate righteousness and holiness. They absolutely hate it. So what are we supposed to do as Christians? We're supposed to exhibit and live out the righteousness of Jesus Christ in this world. We're also supposed to demonstrate the love of Jesus Christ. Because here's what happens. I don't know about you, but a lot of this stuff makes me angry. How many of you would say that a lot of it just makes you angry? If you respond in anger to people, though, then how can you ever persuade them? They need to know what the truth is. So what, how do we respond? Well, love, listen, if we're going to respond in love, that doesn't mean you withhold the truth. That means you speak the truth in love. Love is not withholding the truth. Love is speaking the truth in love. And what is the truth? Children are, are a gift from God. They're not to be killed. That's a wicked thing. That's a wicked thing. It's evil. And just have those discussions. Transgenderism harms people, 40% suicide rate. We love them. We want them to be happy. We want, we want those individuals to come to know the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior and find wholeness of mind, wholeness of spirit, wholeness of personhood. The, 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 the homosexual lifestyle, sometimes people think that, we, that, that they have to marry. So if he's a gay man, that we believe he has to marry a woman. No, not at all. It's just sinful to practice a homosexual lifestyle. Amen? Nowhere in the Bible does it say a man has to marry. Never says that. Nowhere in the Bible does it say a woman has to marry. But if you're going to have a physical relationship, it's supposed to be within the bounds of marriage with a person of the opposite sex. That's the clear teaching of Scripture. Doth not even nature show you, the Bible says. Just a natural relationship between a man and a woman. The other's not natural. That means it's harmful. If we really love people, we care about them. We're not going to endorse things that are going to harm them. We as Christians, we believe that. The ultimate thing that we as Christians believe, and it's not that we believe it, it's that the Bible says it, and that is that we're all sinners, every one of us. Now, I'm not any better than anybody else in the world. We're all sinners. None that doeth good. We've already said that. But Jesus Christ came. He was born of a virgin. He lived a sinless life. And then he died on the cross to pay for our sins. Not just for us, the Bible says. And he is the propitiation. That's the satisfactory payment. And not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. 
died for everyone. Doesn't matter what your race is, doesn't matter what your nationality is, it doesn't matter what your sexual orientation is. Jesus Christ died on the cross for every person. Every person that's a part of the human race, Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He paid for your sin. He wants to save you. He wants to give you eternal life. He wants you to have a, the hope of heaven, and He wants you to have a life of freedom and liberty now. And that's a life of holiness because everything that God condemns is bad for us. Everything that He endorses is good for us. So if you love somebody, you'll condemn the things that He condemns and you'll endorse the things that He endorses. But the first thing that all of us are responsible for is our own personal relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. So here's the question. If you died today, do you know for sure you'd go to heaven? Do you know that? If you don't, you need to get that settled. All you have to do is ask Jesus Christ to save you. Recognize that He's Lord, that He is God, that He died on the cross and rose from the dead, and that you deserve to go to hell because you're a sinner. And the only way that you can go to heaven is to repent of your sin and to place your faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for your eternal life. That's it. That's it. It is amazing that our nation has moved so far away from biblical Christianity. The stories that I've discussed today that are the top stories in the news right now, those things are a violation of everything that is in the Scriptures. What's the answer? The answer is not for us to bury our heads. The answer is for us to stand up and boldly say, I am a follower of Jesus Christ. And then make sure you have a life that follows your profession. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for Grace Baptist Church.